being stopped by a messenger from Yosef and he accuses him of stealing the goblet and he searches and he finds it uh, in the sack of Binyamin of course it was placed there by Yosef himself so the brothers when he accuses them they say you know heaven forbid that we would do something like that so the word Rashi interprets it in two different ways First, he says, This is a common way of behaving. Common to, uh, for us. Not common in the, in the sense that we always do it. Common that a commoner would do that, not somebody like us. And it's a disgraceful way. It would be disgraceful for us to do something like that. Then he goes on to explain that the Targum explains it that it's heaven save us, heaven forbid that we should do something like that. Um, so, um, and uh, many times in the Gemara we find this expression of chas like the common phrase chas v'sholem heaven forbid and be, peace be on us so it means heaven forbid that we should do something like that heaven save us now earlier in Parsha Vayera when Avram was discussing with, with Hashem whether to destroy Stoim uh, Avram says to Hashem are you going to destroy a tzaddik together with a rasha a righteous person along with an evil person. So it says over there also, It is that you should do something like that. What does Rashi explain over there for the word This is a not a holy way of, of behaving. Common way of behaving. Commoners, people of common uh, personality behave this way, not somebody like you. So we have to understand about the difference between these two Rashi's. In Parshava Yehra, he just says, well, over there where the word Khalila appears for the first time, Rashi doesn't find it necessary to give two different interpretations to the word. He says directly it means Cholin, and that's what it means. Whereas in our Parsha, he adds to the word, this is a common way of behaving, he adds, it's a disgraceful way of behaving. Over there he doesn't say it's disgraceful, Here, there he just says it's common. So if it was necessary to explain what Cholin is, that it means disgraceful, why doesn't he explain it the first time? Another question. As I said, Rashi gives a second interpretation. It wasn't enough that it means Cholin. He also has to say that, heaven forbid that uh, we should do something like that. So the basic difference is this. The first time in Parshavayera, it's Avram speaking to Hashem and saying, this would be Cholila for you to do something like that. So when you talk to Hashem and you say, you would behave in a, a way ordinary, like a common way, like a common person, meaning to say, something you would do something that is not absolutely 100% perfect, something that is not holy in its essence, would you do something like that? That's enough to say to Hashem. Obviously He's not going to do anything like that. In our parsha, we're talking about people, human beings, is it possible to say that human beings only ever do, even the, even the Shvatim, even the sons of Yaakov, the only thing that they ever do is only super holy behavior? No, they, they do regular things too. They eat, they sleep, they do things which regular people do as well. Not everything that they do is uh, absolutely holy. Therefore, to say 
that they would express Khalilah, this is something that is common therefore we, would, we should not be accused of it, why not? you eat, you do all kinds of things which common people do therefore he has to add, Rashi has to add we're talking about this would be disgraceful to us saying that it's common is not enough for just a regular person therefore he adds that it's also disgraceful but there's, it's still difficult because they use the term chulin for people, for regular people to say that chulin is to them in other words something which is common common behavior is so out of the question they were trying to fend off the accusation of they're being thieves so why would they use a term it's like common if we're talking about somebody that is an outstanding um, personality like let's say a king a king doesn't do things which regular people do to him it's, it's totally disgraceful to do something which a commoner would do something that a king wouldn't do it's maybe even more than doing something wrong that's even more demeaning to a, a perp, uh, to a king to do something common even more than doing something wrong but to a regular person to say that I did something you know would I do something common that is not so demeaning and it's not so out of the ordinary so why would they use the word cholila cholin to describe something which means disgraceful and because of this question Rashi gives another explanation there must be another explanation to the word cholila so he gives a second meaning which is that it means that they were saying God forbid Hashem save us God save us from such an accusation from such behavior we would steal and that's that's the second interpretation of the word Khalila. but since we don't find the word Khalila in all of Tanakh having this kind of usage meaning that so therefore Rashi has to rely on the Gemara and in Gemara we find such usage of the word but since it's not a Tanakh, so he considers it to be a secondary interpretation. Meaning that the first one still remains the primary um, explanation of the word, and this is a secondary explanation to explain that one point, that it's, they should have used a more direct term, like it was disgraceful to us to do something like that. What is the lesson to us in this Rashi? The Altarebbe brings that the others, whatever um, whatever quality the Torah tells us about the Ovis is something that every single Jew ne- needs to emulate every single Jew was given the ability to do that and we need to emulate that thing but not everything that is described about every individual shavit of the sons of Yaakov necessarily pertains to every single Jew it's possible that they have that quality but an individual Jew doesn't have that quality however when all the Shvatim have a certain quality express a certain sentiment it means that they received it from their father, from, their, from his father, from his father, meaning that when they all express a certain sentiment, that is something which belongs to every single Jew. Every Yid could do the same, should do the same. In this case, that means the Shvatim were saying that anything which is chulin, anything which is common, mundane, not holy, is disgraceful to us. We have, want nothing to do with that. We, a Yid is a person of absolute Kedusha, connected to holiness. His, a Yid's interest has to be focused on holiness. Our whole life has to be focused on holiness. Anything which is neutral, mundane, Gashmias and so on, that is something which is disdainful to 
to us. And this doesn't have to be the feeling that a person has within their soul, but on the, on the externally, it's not really obvious, but this has to be something by which we live. This is something that the Goyim should perceive in us. The Shvatim were saying this to a Goy. They were saying it to an, an Egyptian Goy. Egypt was at that time the depth of depravity, the most depraved world, uh, city, uh, country in the world. And they're talking to a Goy from that country. So, and to him, they're saying anything which is ordinary is disgraceful to us. So also, Yid has to be very um, upfront about that. And although the Torah says, for six days you should work, which means a Yid has to engage with the world. That doesn't mean that we have to lower ourselves to the world. Our engagement with the world has to be in a way that we elevate the world to our level, to holiness. We take everything in the world, we engage with the world, but for the purpose of elevating it to a level of holiness, that, not that we should become interested in the mundane. And the Rebbe explains, how is it that a Yid is able to reach that kind of a level, that even though as you engage with the world, you still have to be removed from it and higher than it, and, and consider it disgraceful if I were to be influenced by it, and enjoy it, and be part of it, and so on. That's because, that's the way, that's Hashem's attitude to the world as well. Even those parts of godliness, which are engaged in the world, which are involved in the world, the part of Hashem which is, integrated into the world still remains never is caught up by the world it's never captured by the world even though it integrates and it's involved with the world but it's not caught by the world it's not captured by the world as Avram said to Hashem that this is chulin this is, uh, this is beneath you this is ordinary common that's beneath you to behave that way which explains by the way why he said it twice. Avraham Avinu said, It's Chalila, it's Chulin to you to do something like this. And then he repeats, lecha, It's mundane uh, to you, but The judge of the whole world should not do, will not do justice. Why does he repeat it twice? If he already said, never mind that the Abish Hashem is the judge of the whole world, would he do, not do justice? Without that, he already said that anything common is beneath Hashem. So why does he have to add, the judge of the whole world would do something like that? Even if he wasn't the judge of the whole world, he wouldn't do something like that. So why does he have to add that? What he's saying is, Shoifet Kola Oretz, you are the one that's engaged in the world. You are the one that created the world. Yet you, rem- you are removed from the world. You're not caught up in the world. So therefore, Chulin is something which is beneath you. And because of that, the Yidin, which are are also emulate Hashem in this way, that even though they have to be engaged with the world, they remain above it. And that's the reason why a Yid has the ability, where do we take the power to be able to transform Cholin, to make it into holy? Because, in essence, we are, we are above it. So therefore, we have the ability to raise it up to where we really are. A lesson with the with the general thrust of this parsha that we find from this explanation is also the, this parsha is talking about the descent of the Yidin into the Golas it's not the actual descent because it ha- that happens in the next parsha but it's already the, the circumstances are being created in this parsha for the Yidin eventually going down Yaakov going down into Mitzrayim so it's talking about the Golas the, the 
advent of the Golos is happening already in this parsha. Now it's known that what the Rabbeim said, that only our bodies were, were given into the Golos, were handed over to Golos, and to the uh, to enslavement to the other uh, country in which we are. But our Neshamas always were never put into Golos. Our Neshamas always remain above and were never enslaved to the to the countries in which we are. From this perspective, if only the Gufas in Golos, when can a Yid be in Golos at all? Only if they if we put importance to the Guf. If our Guf becomes important to us, if enjoyment of the Guf, if um, Gashmias becomes important in our life, then we would be in Golos because the Shama is not in Golos. But the Guf is in Golos because we put attention to the Guf. But if a Yid lives in this way, that anything cholin, anything mundane, anything not part of the neshama is complete, we have no interest in it at all. So then we would be totally above the golos altogether, because the neshama is not in golos at all. The guf, we don't care what happens. You know, it's not that important to what happens. The less importance you put on what happens to the guf, the less in golos you are. The Rebbe also suggests that this is uh, one of the reasons why the thing, the, the, uh, the culmination of what happened, what caused them to have to bring Yaakov down to Mitzrayim was that they, were, they had the, the silver goblet, even though they were completely innocent of it. But still, since it did happen, which means that even if it happened B'Shoigig, it's still somewhat of a, they carry somewhat of a responsibility, as it's known, that from the Neshama, a yid has, is not shaykh, not even possible that he should do a, a veda b'shoigig, not even inadvertently. There must be some, so therefore that means that there was some connection to Gashmias, as subtle as it may be, and they were completely innocent as they didn't do it at all, but still it ended up there, which means that they were somewhat connected to Gashmias, and that's what led to the Golos. And just as this is true for the Yid, that it's only the Gashmias that goes into Golos, but the Neshama does, and so also it's from the perspective of the Golos itself, the same is true. The reason why Hashem sent the Yidin into the Golos is for the purpose of getting to a higher level through, uh, through the Golos, which leads us to a higher level of Geula. So which means, in other words, that the whole purpose of the Golos is for the Geula. So when you look at it from that perspective, as the Golos itself is just a preparation for Gula. Let's, let's say the uh, marshal that if somebody is going to renovate their house, so as soon as the contractor comes in and he starts destroying everything in sight, he's, uh, he's demolishing whatever he has to get rid of in order to rebuild more beautifully. So the project has begun as soon as it begins to demolishing, even though it's a big Golos, it's dusty, it's dirty, it's dark, and so on. But that the renovation has begun. We don't say, well, the demolition is... Uh, the renovation has begun. That's the, the Golos. And it's all about the getting to the more beautiful Geula that then you were before the Golos. The Rebbe de Gozat explain a, uh, something extraordinary that we find in, our, in the last Rashi of this week's Parsha, which is not the expected um, message of Rashi, but it's something that we find an extraordinary insight from Rashi. The last Rashi is Manit Stadok. The, the Yid, the, the brothers, were accused of stealing the, the, the goblet. So they said, how could, in the end they found it, so they said, how could we justify what, uh, you know, we don't have anything to say. 
How do we justify it? So the word is nitzadok. So Rashi goes on to explain a grammatical, it's a whole lesson in grammar about the word tzedek and, when, and that it can be, you know, the, the root word that begins with a tzaddik, or then he goes on to explain, or a root word that begins with a sin or with a shin. So the, the, uh, the letters which give it context, like is it past, present, future, is it feminine, masculine, those letters which add to the, to the root of the word can be placed in the middle of the word as well. Usually the, those letters which give context are either at the beginning of the word or at the end of the word. But in certain cases it could be in the middle of the word. So Rashi gives examples of such words where the root word is either with a tzad, first with a tzaddik, then with a samach, and then with a sin. Then he concludes the Rashi, and he says, he gives an example of a word which begins with a, sin, with a samach, mistoilil ba'ami, you are abusing my people, and he says, mikzeiras derech loislula, this is from the root word of slula, which means a path not trodden. That's what the word slula is. So you have to understand, as I said, he gives examples first of a tzaddik, then of words which begin with a samach, and then words which begin with a shin. And then he circles back, and he gives an example of a word with a samach again. So why does he not group this word with the samach together with the other words of samach? And then the way he puts it, he says, Mikzeiras derech loislula, a path not trodden why doesn't he simply say a trodden path why does he say a path not trodden and another question is Rashi himself in the where, he, where that word appears he also explains it and over there he explains it that the word comes from the word of a path not the trodding of a path but the path itself. So why does he change it over here? And the answer is, over there, over here in Parshamikates, it's talking about the beginning of the Golos. Not even the beginning of the Golos. It's the, the uh, events which led up to the coming of the Golos. In Va'era, it's talking already about the Makis, which means the beginning of the Gaula. The Gaula is already coming into the picture. We're, we're heading towards the Gaula. Therefore, in Parshavaira, he says, Mesila, it is a path. The path, to, the path that he's talking about is the path to Geula. The path to Geula is already seen, it's already, we're on the way to the, to the Geula. I, we're talking still to Pari, and he says, why are you abusing the, you are still abusing the Yin, which means you don't see that they're on the way to Geula. That's only because Pari refuses to see the picture, but the Yidden already are on the path to Geula. It's already a, b- a bunch of makas happened. It's already happening. And the only reason that Pari still can, um, Hashem sort of leads Pari to refuse to let them go is because he wants to make more makas. As he said, he wants to make many miracles. But the path is already, it's there, it's clear. The path to Geula is clear. In our parsha, we're, we're first talking about entering into the Golos. We're preparing to enter into the Golos. So there, it's already called a path. What is the path? Derech. It's a derech, which means it's the path that's leading to Geula. However, 
It's not yet trodden, it's not yet clear, it's not yet obvious that this is all about Geula. Because all we're seeing at this point is the destruction. All we're seeing is demolition. All we're seeing is darkness. All we're seeing is slavery. So although the Pnimius is an essence, it's all about going to the Geula. But at this point, what we see more is the Golos, and that's why it's a derech, it's a path, which is not yet clearly trodden. And that's why Rashi leaves this one till the end of the Rashi, because that's the culmination of it all. What he's trying to say is, this is where it's all heading, this is the bottom line. It's all heading towards a path, although now it's not yet clearly trodden, but it is heading to Geulah.